So yeah, we're going to talk about indoor industrial lighting applications and some of the different application considerations when uh, working on a, a indoor high bay or low bay uh, project. Um, you know, we, you know, high bay isn't necessarily our, our main focus at Wisconsin Lighting Lab, but we do uh, quite a few indoor industrial uh, applications. Oftentimes, uh, people pull us in when it's a, you know, it's a challenging environment. It could be high temp, uh, high dust. Um, you know, we've done some remote power applications. So we just want to just want to talk through um, some of the things the, the, the sales team or, um, you know, our, our uh, sales partners, um, you know, should, should consider when, when selecting products. So, you know, I think the, the, the obvious one when selecting a, a light fixture for an uh, indoor environment would be temperature. I uh, want you kind of walk me through some of the temperature considerations um, when selecting the right product. Yeah, I guess in industrial applications, you typically have a much higher um, ambient temperature at the ceiling than you do at the ground. And it's uh, especially the case in foundries or places that have equipment that generates a lot of heat. And the locations directly above that equipment is even more susceptible than the rest of the facility to a much higher ambient. Yep. So, you know, you just have to make sure to keep that in mind when you're specifying products. Yeah, I know when we, uh, a few years ago, we did a, an application for one of our one of our part uh, vendors um, at their, their facility up in Oshkosh. Um, pretty big facility. Um, they do, you know, they have hundreds of thousands of square feet, multiple shift uh, type operation. And they originally installed uh, some, some lighting products. So it was a linear high bay product. And whoever had provided that solution didn't properly consider uh, temperature. And um, we, we replaced um, some of the fixtures with our, our EcoBay fixture. And really for several years, we haven't had, haven't had any issues. And the same with our, our, you know, our facility here, you know, same type of product. Um, but it's just you know, high bay, a lot of people think about a warehouse the same way as they think about an indoor facility. And like you said, on the temperature side, it's a lot warmer at the ceiling than it is down by the the workspace. Yeah, and a, another thing with that customer you're talking about, they had a bunch of those um, fixtures put up and they kept getting dust and dirt on the inside of the lens. And so they would, instead of going up and cleaning it regularly, they decided to tape off <laughs> the whole top of the fixture, right. which also added to a lot of the thermal issues that yep. they saw. But, you know, having products that, you know, don't have openings on the top that yep. are going to compromise your light output are important. Yep. Yeah, and, and we, you know, to address those issues on the temperature topic, we have a, a couple of different um, design considerations. Number one is we, you know, we often use a lot of a lot of heat sinking for high temperature environments. So the same heat sinking we use for like a high output sports application, um, you know, we use that same proprietary design for an indoor uh, environment, and we also turn the the drive current. Uh, way down. So, you know, that, that gives it a higher elevated ambient uh, temperature. But to your point you just made, why don't you talk about the, the LED uh, optics compartment um, for the products that we use silicone optics on? Yeah, so products like the Helios um, and the old, the EcoBay have... The, the new HDX as well. Yeah, the new HDX have silicone optics and they have the heat sink on the back. Everything is sealed the same as if it were an outdoor fixture. So yep. nothing water, dirt, dust are going to get into the LED compartment. Um, and all the products are rain tested and dust tested. We have 
you know, pass through heat sinks so that any dust that falls on top of these products, it's going to fall through the heat sink to not compromise any of the thermal properties that we have. Yep. And we've been using that design for interior applications for five or six years now. Um, and so we, we've had very few uh, issues when it comes to um, temperature and, and LEDs. Um, drivers are sometimes another story depending on the environment. And I think a lot of uh, driver issues, uh, people think it's temperature related, but it's probably more due to uh, power issues, which is a, a, a big concern in an indoor industrial environment. Um, you know, our, our assembly here in, in or our plant here in, in town is uh, primarily an assembly, uh, final assembly facility, so we don't have a lot of heavy machinery. And oftentimes in environments where you have heavy machinery, there's a lot of startup and shutdown of the equipment, which can cause problems for solid state uh, lighting. So I think what's sometimes a, a, a temperature related driver issue is really a power issue. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, which you know, if the first consideration is temperature, I would say the second consideration would be power quality within the facility. Yeah, I mean, when you think of industrial facilities, they have motors on most equipment. They have large ovens or heat sources that are firing up. Um, a lot of these um, foundries have big um, electrical foundry uh, equipment that is going to suck a lot of electricity instantaneously out of the system. And then you're going to have these dips and peaks on every time that they run the equipment. And we had a customer that had installed a bunch of our Helios lights on a crane. And yeah. every time they run the crane, the lights would flash. And it was because the, the motors on the crane were drawing power yep. and stuff wasn't properly grounded. So you can have a lot of uh, electrical issues on indoor applications. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's things that uh, owners and customers and end users can do to uh, help with some of that. But, you know, I think it's most, you know, they have to be aware that it's, that it's an issue. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think the industry is starting to become more educated around, you know, around some of that. And, um, you know, especially, uh, app, er, you know, industrial manufacturers that have had solid state equipment for a long time, you know, they've been forced to have power conditioning, conditioning and other things at the panel. Um, to help clean up the voltage. But I think some of the other, like some of the foundries where there's maybe not as much, I think there's probably some computerized equipment, but a lot of that stuff is still just like older yeah, for equipment sure. with, like larger, yeah, with larger motors and things like that. Yeah, and it's hard to educate those types of people on, you know, how more sensitive the solid state stuff is than their old HID or exactly. metal halide stuff. They don't care so much about those dips and peaks but yeah yeah they've been used to you know it's part part of their maintenance program has been servicing um you know servicing hid lighting and you know i think the expectation is that the new fixture will last uh last forever so we've had some applications where you know we're we're very very upfront with people it's like if this thing is running um 24 7 365 um, in this type of environment, um, you know, if you start to see um, you know certain types of power supply issues, that that might be a sign of, of other issues. And we, you know, if you can be have good dialogue, you know, with the customer and explain, you know, solid state lighting versus conventional lighting, 
you know, it's 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 nice to get on the get on the same page. So, but uh, yeah, definitely the second consideration would be power quality at the facility. So the first one's temperature. Um, second one would be uh, power quality, and that's not always something you know know about right away. So what we've done with some of our recent designs is ensure that the driver replacement process is is easy. So if there are issues, you know, with their power quality, sometimes it's easier uh, just to have a program to easily replace the driver than it is to completely change their electrical uh, infrastructure. So temperature, uh, power quality, I would say another one that we run into is uh, chemical compatibility uh, in the air. Um, we've done some indoor natatorium and pool applications, but why don't you walk through some of the considerations kind of within the chemical umbrella? Yeah, I guess um, having our sealed optics, we are pretty fortunate in not having a lot of chemicals be able to um, penetrate the LED compartment. So you, sometimes if there's a com chemical compatibility issue, it, it can discolor the LED. It's still going to output a light, but it can be green. It could be purple. We've seen that in uh, in Milwaukee and for sure. all, all the roadway failures right now. Yeah, so... You know, as long as we're not introducing the chemical into the system during assembly, we're typically in good shape. And as far as like chlorine, um, again, there it it doesn't penetrate through the silicone optics um, that maybe it would in some sort of other assembly. So we're able to have installs in these different locations that may have some chemical in the air. And you know, we try to do our due diligence when a job like that comes up that we check and see, like, what chemical might be in the air, like chlorine, um, if there's other chemicals in the air. If, if we're aware of it on the front end. Yeah, right? it, yeah, it's always good for us to know so we can do a chemical compatibility check on all our components that yep. could possibly be exposed to it, whether it's, like, our wires, the optics, um, just gaskets on certain parts. We just want to make sure that that kind of stuff isn't going to have any issues in long term. So when we talk about chemical compatibility, and a lot of this is speculation, but I think it's it's pretty much known what the problem is. But right now with a particular fixture, and it's not our fixture, uh, fortunately, but there's several thousand lights in the city of Milwaukee that are turning purple. And about once a week, I'll have somebody shoot me a text or somebody will ask me, hey, what's with these lights that are turning purple? Are they supposed to be that color? Are they supposed to be that way? And... Um, you know, kind of explain to them that, you know, what could be happening is there's outgassing that's happening once the fi the fixture fires up. And what is it? Um, uh, what's the outgassing term? Like VOCs. Oh, v VOCs. It's like when you paint the wall in your house for the first few weeks, you're going to smell yep. smell the chemicals. So if that happens upon initial, initial fire up and the gases get trapped underneath the optic and maybe they clean the optical surface with some type of a cleaner that was not compatible that can actually ruin the phosphor coating on the outside of the LEDs. And it is the purple, like, you know, the LED's natural state, is it, is it yeah, purple? Yeah, like it, uh, white LED is actually blue or yeah. purple to begin with, and then they add a phosphor coating that yeah. filters out all of the blue light and you're left with the white. Okay, so that's likely what's happening with those, yeah. with those fixtures. So, but yeah, that was... Uh, Usually not a consideration that's needed for roadway right. <laughs> is chemical compatibility. But when you think about the environment the LED is in inside of the trapped optic, um, that's uh, doesn't like it. So um, another one would be debris. Uh, we've run into this with a recent application. Um, our fixers are they're pretty solid. You know they're they're you know pretty stout chassis and heat sinks and everything else. And um, 
we really haven't had too many issues when it comes to flying uh, debris, but it can come up in foundry uh, environments um, and other types of environments. Um, you know, I guess there are there's certain compliance and certifications that some manufacturers starting to go through uh, to, you know, relay the you know the quality of, of the fixture. But yeah, I guess what 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 from a construction standpoint, um, you know, what have we done to ensure it's as durable as it can be? Yeah, I guess um, the main thing is having silicone optics that if they get hit by something, they have give to them. They yep. naturally um, absorb most of the impact um, and there aren't filaments or any glass that's going to break on impact. So you don't have to worry about things like that happening. But just having that silicone optic yep. is a big help in a lot of high bay designs for warehouse environments it's a piece of sh uh, thin sheet metal with a you know an acrylic or a polycarbonate lens over the top that is more or less just using gravity to hold itself in place um, and we have so some designs we have a new design uh, like that for um, you know less intense environments but you know it really comes down to if you're going to be in a heavy industrial environment and there's going to be uh, debris you know, every component on that fixture, you know, you know, better be fastened pretty well with, you know, with hardware yeah. as, as opposed to just, you know, using gravity to hold the lens in. And we use a lot of automotive grade connectors that are designed for bouncing down the road True. for thousands and thousands of miles. Yep. And the drivers are potted. Yeah. Everything's yep. fully potted. So they absorb the, all the vibration and impacts as well from objects, I guess. Yep. Yep. So another consideration is like uh, you hear this term thrown around a lot, not necessarily for high bay applications, but more um, indoor office spaces and museums and other other applications like that. But like human focused or human centric, uh, you know, lighting. And I, I think when it comes to high bay, I think uh, you know glare management is definitely a, a consideration. And you know, just a a lumen bomb at the at the ceiling is is nice um, but at the same time you know, it's also nice to you know maybe diffuse some of that light so it's easier to easier to look at um, so you know what are what are some of the things that uh, you know design changes and things we've done over the years and also when an applications team or a sales team is looking at um, a particular job when it comes to you know making things kind of human focused you know easy on the eyes what, what are some of the things they should look at yeah I guess um, fixture height is probably a big um, deal as far as how much glare there is. Um, having more fixtures is another um, thing they want to consider. Instead of having like one really bright light in a you know 20 by 20 area, maybe you need three or four yep. spread out um, just to get the light spread out. The other thing, um, thermally, we turn down the fixtures so that they work better in indoor environments and that lends itself too to have less glare because we've turned the drive current down and we can also do some um, PMMA or acrylic lens that's diffused in front of some of our products so that it diffuses all the LED light and we can also do like glare grid um, yep. but all this should probably be talked about on the front <laughs> end as we've discussed. Yep. Absolutely. And the, the diffuse lens, there is a trade-off there when it comes, there's actually probably two major trade-offs. One would be the efficiency of the fixture goes down and it changes the lighting distribution of the optic. Yeah, and we likely, we're going to have to turn that down yep. as well. So you're losing efficiency, you're losing lumen output because we have to turn it down farther yep. so we don't compromise the thermal properties. Yep. And then, like you mentioned, 
um, the distribution. Yeah. Okay. Um, we also have indirect options. Uh, we've done quite a few indirect lighting applications, and it seems like tennis and pickleball, pickleball and a lot of those sports are increasing in popularity, so we're doing a lot of indoor applications and designs, which, um, you know, if they have reflective uh, ceilings, it's a, it's, a nice, um, it's a nice option. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you're using something like the KB4 as an indirect uplight, putting it upside down creates pockets, so you'll want to be sure to have glare grids, yeah. not glare grids, sorry, uh, wire guards, yep. so that it no balls or anything can get stuck on top of the fixture because yep. they will start on fire. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely a consideration we've done. Um, many, many years ago, I remember doing a, a indirect job, and um, we went to inspect uh, the application, and you looked inside the light, inside the visor, and it's like, oh, there's a there's a baseball. There's a, there's a tennis ball. <laughs> so... <Yeah. coughs> Definitely important to have those wire guards on there. I guess th the last thing would just be different types of compliance. And we don't necessarily have to talk about specific uh, compliance. Um, we know there's a lot of options out there. But when you think about compliance, you know, it's really a way for us as the manufacturer or the specifying engineer to to relay certain information in a fast way to whoever's in charge of, of buying or selecting the products. What what categories do you put compliance in? Is it safety, performance, and reliability, or how do you how do you think about compliance? Both as an engineer selecting parts that go into finished goods, and then if you are a specifying engineer selecting our fixtures for your application, like how do you how do you approach that? Yeah, I guess first and foremost, you want to make sure that they comply with safety requirements um and in our world safety typically is ul 1598 right for that's indoor and outdoor correct and okay. there's dry damp and wet location ratings within 1598 there's also a marine rating which is yep. 1598a but um you just want to you know from a specifying engineer standpoint you got to check that box yep. if it doesn't check that box it's just not probably going to happen yep um i guess the performance side of things kind of goes also with DLC and longevity because DLC is testing the overall performance of your fixture, but you can't get DLC if you don't have safety testing. So I guess a specifying engineer, if he sees that it's on the DLC listing, you can assume that it, you know, it has the safety yep. requirements. That's a good you point. Need. Um, but they, they check how long a fixture is intended to last, like L70 or L90 hour, yep. so 90% of light output or 70%, how yep. long that takes, and they have minimum standards that you have to hit to be able to be on DLC. And it, um, So, so yeah. D DLC, in reality, um, it's, a, it's kind of a shorthand for both safety and performance, yeah. if you think about it. Okay. Yeah, and then you have so so again it, it safety, which is in our world is typically UL fifteen ninety eight, um, for either dry, or dry damp or wet locations. So right. that's within safety testing. Um, you have performance testing, which is light output, lighting distribution. Um, is it what else is within performance? Uh, color CRI color. CCT yep. like all that stuff gets measured during performance testing. Yep, and then you have DLC, um, which is kind of a in theory, a combination of, of both. And then we have uh, reliability testing. So that would be things like uh, vibration uh, testing and um, some of the impact tests out there. Yeah, so you have impact testing, you have 
vibration testing. You've got uh, lifetime testing, just having product in use. We install a bunch of our product here locally, yep. and it gets run every day, all day, all night. You know, we have it in our facilities. We have it outside of our facilities. Local sports fields. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, you know, that's part of lifetime testing is making sure in application everything because you can rain test the fixture. And it's <laughs> great here, but you go put it out in the wild for Get a few years, real world, right? and you all of a sudden all these issues come up. So, well, cool. I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good overview. I think, um, yeah, I think indoor heavy industrial environments. You know, aside from water, although we do have some applications where we've done indoor. You know, there's like wash down ratings and things like that. But when you think about that environment where you have high temperature issues, you have debris, you have, you know, power quality considerations, you have impact, you have chemical compatibility, you know, those really, uh, I would say stress test a platform about as much as any platform. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think the, the cool thing about the way that we approach our designs is the things that we learn in these environments get applied to outdoor environments as well. You know, in, a, in a similar way, you know, the things we learn for outdoor get applied to indoor, such as the optics and the sealed, you know, electrical compartments, um, you know, for, for the LEDs and things like that. So anything else to, to touch on or is that? No, that I, cover think, it? I think that's good. All right, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks.